0: Welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I firmly believe that God sent you here today on purpose because you've got a purpose. And this show is a safe place that you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. Today's guest preaches and teaches that Jesus is everything. It's the heart, passion, and leadership approach of Lisa Whittle. The author of seven books and a sought-after Bible teacher Lisa is also the creator of a companion video Bible study for Jesus over everything she's a pastor's daughter a longtime ministry leader and Lisa is the founder of ministry strong in the popular Jesus over everything podcast which happened to debut in the top 25 of Christian podcasts Lisa is the co-founder of called creatives a coaching community for writers and speakers has done master's work in marriage and family counseling, advocated for Compassion International, and has been featured on numerous media outlets. She and her husband live in North Carolina with their three mostly grown children who still come home for dinner. And hey, you need to head to lisawiddle.com forward slash Joe, that's just J-O-E, to grab some free goodies from her upcoming book that's releasing on March 24th, Jesus Over Everything. And you can go ahead and pre-order that book as well. Okay, enough introductions. Let's jump into the conversation that I had with Lisa, and you're going to love her answer to my question about what you won't read on her professional bio. Well, hey, Lisa, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here today. Oh, thanks. It's so good to be
1: here. Really good.
0: Yeah. Um, I have to tell you, all of my people on Instagram were thrilled whenever I posted that you're going to be on the show. And one girl asked a very random question that I thought I have to ask. She wanted to know what two radio stations do you listen to?
1: Oh my goodness. Um, this is going to
0: expose
1: my either my age or something. I literally do not listen to the radio. Is that awful? I, I do not listen to it. I when I get in my car, I like
0: silence. Is that awful? No. No. <laughs> that that's me too. I'm the exact same way. Especially I think because I have kids and I'm an introvert that when I do finally get in the car, I'm like, oh, silence, yay.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just yeah, I like to breathe. And, um, and sometimes I will catch up on because I listen to all of my podcasts before they go out. It's the control freak in me, I guess. But I like to make sure everything sounds the way I want. So I have to listen to all my shows before they go out. So a lot of times I'll take car time to listen back to my shows before they air. So I'll do that too. Or I'll listen to boxes. I catch up in the car. That's what I do
0: yeah yeah i listen to Voxes also and major kudos to you i have to say i don't listen to my show beforehand it releases so yay <laughs> good <laughs> well, job. <laughs> I, miss one.
1: I miss one every now and then but i try to listen to them yeah it's a it's the control freak in me yeah.
0: yeah okay so one question i like to ask people is in the beginning in the intro i read your pretty professional bio what's something i might not have read in your professional bio about you
1: Mmm. Well, my husband would tell you that I love to floss my teeth and I leave he this is such a gross habit. This is really gross. Um, but I leave floss sometimes around the house. Is that disgusting or what? But why and why is that the first thing that came to my mind? I, I think it's because it's the farthest thing from a professional bio that you could p- possibly get. Um, I don't know. I mean, what else would we want to talk about? But yeah, no. Um, something's That's not in my professional bio that is less gross and people find fascinating. Is at one time I used to be a makeup artist. So people love that part of my bio. And actually, the time I was a professional makeup artist, I was um as a professional proofreader for a vice president and of a college, uh, actually for our seminary. So it's it's different as a higher learning. And then um, I was also working in a counselor's office. So I had three jobs at the same time. And um, yeah, those were my three at the very same time. Very interesting situation.
0: I love that. And actually looking at your face right now, I can tell you must have been a makeup artist as your makeup looks flawless. So also, I kind of think the flossing should be included in the professional bio. I think that's (laughs) I think that's fun. I think people will be like, "Okay, I get I get it. She gets me like we all have at least one weird thing like that in our life. So
1: (laughs) Well, you brought that out early, Rachel. I don't know. I, I, I felt very, um, I felt very free to speak this morning. Probably a little too free for uh, uh, for this podcast, but yes.
0: No, no, this is real talk with Rachel, so this is good. This is this is what we love. That's true. Um, okay, so <laughs> this is gonna be a fun conversation. I can already tell. So, you have recently written a new book. You have several other books, right? Yep this is this is my seventh. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so tell us about this one you are releasing as we're um, airing this.
1: Jesus over everything, uncomplicating the daily struggle to put Jesus first. And I I add that subtitle because it's really important to what we're talking about. Um, When someone reads Jesus over everything, I think they think, oh man, that's a great, like, that's a great idea. I want to do it. But what I want people to understand is uh, that that the priority order of Jesus over everything is what uncomplicates our lives. And so it's really important to to know that when that when the God of the universe set it up to be that he would be over everything because according to Colossians 1 he is over everything he is in everything and in him all things hold together that includes us that when he set it up to be that way That's the way our lives would work. And so our lives are very complicated, right? Like we we long for simpler lives. We crave that. That's why we clean out our closets. That's why we have systems for our calendar. But what we miss a lot of times is like the spiritual component, the heart component, there are ways that we've cluttered our insides that we haven't paid one bit of attention to. And um, really the book is helping people understand how our lives will work in, in a very simple bottom line way that isn't a hefty list of to-dos. It's like decisions we're already making every day, but we probably need to tweak those and make different ones. And, and one of the things I talk about is, you know, most of us think when our lives are complicated that we need a whole different life. But the reality is, is we just need God to run ours. We just need God in charge of ours. And priority order is something that it's not a new idea. It's the biblical idea, but we just don't implement it. And so that's really what the book is about, what I want to help people do.
0: Yeah. And I realized when I asked that question, that's such a loaded question because it's like, hey, I want you to sum up your book in, in a few sentences. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, that's not possible. But I love just how simple what you just mentioned, the priority order of things. And I, one of the things that really blessed me about the book was you were extremely real in it, which that always makes my heart sing because it makes Jesus relatable as well. You know, it's like, okay, I can you bring these stories to life just like Jesus did. And um, one of your things that you talked about in your book is your father and his role as a pastor and how that affected you and can you tell us a little bit about that story
1: yeah you know my dad I mean he was kind of my person uh, my dad passed away and it would be three years in April I can't believe it but yeah he he was my person and I loved him so dearly and he was a pastor grew up in that in that environment and because he was bigger than this just this charisma. And yet, there was a things that I longed for in the home that I felt like lacked. And, you know, even now, I find myself wanting to give excuses for that, right? Because I love him so much. And certainly, as a child, I didn't understand the demands of an adult. I didn't understand the demands of ministry. I didn't understand a lot of things. I just knew my dad didn't really pray with us at home. You know, I just knew that, you know, he was different from the stage than he was in the home and not um, in a way that he was cruel or anything like that, but just spiritually, you know, and I longed for him to sit with me on the floor and, you know, open the Bible and things like that. And some of that was a bit unrealistic, but some of it I think w- were things that that he could have done. And so, if for me, because between that and the things that happened to him in his ministry, where he did have that I've talked about before in, in past books, I felt in some way tricked, you know, I felt like it was a little bit of one way, you know, from the stage and one way in home. and home. And I also felt like people maybe loved me in the church just for who I was. But then, when my father lost his role, they didn't love me the same way, and it was it was just a real hard thing for me. And so, um, I think I talk about that in the book, in the in the chapter study over hype, and I talk about the fact that it's been very hard for me to even enjoy anything that seemed like it wasn't real. But it also drove me to to understand the importance of being very real and really being only impressed with jesus and so yeah i I've, I've really kind of in the last year even in my counseling sessions um pulled that apart a little bit more and um, i think for the reader it will be important because it's very important in this hype culture to pull apart what is uh, are just kind of displays and what are really important things that drive us closer to Jesus?
0: Yeah. And so you mentioned um, in your past books, you talked a little bit more about what your father in the church. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. My, my book whole I talk all about it. Um, and I've talked about it, you know, in different things that I've written on my podcast here and there. Actually, in my next book that will be out in 2021, I'll talk even more about that in the future.
0: Okay. I'm curious, how did that affect your um, willingness and excitement for you personally to go into ministry and your family?
1: Oh, Rachel, I mean, I think you probably will say about that. It, it was a oh, hard fought. I mean, I didn't want to do it. There was no part of me. Honestly, there was n- the part of me that loved Jesus and wanted to be used by God had a desire but it was hard to reconcile that with this part that one was very hurt and wounded by a church that I loved so desperately, and two a part that wasn't sure that I could go into ministry and keep it real myself. And I, I'll be honest with you, I felt like if one has to be picked, like if if I'm going to either have a vibrant relationship with Jesus and love him so much, and the two of us stay together. I mean, I know that sounds like a simple, weird term, but like, that's the way I looked at it. If, that, if it's going to be that, or I'm going to go into ministry and take a stage maybe and lose myself. Like I'm going to pick not taking a stage, because I love Jesus too much. And I've just had to work out a lot with the Lord in private to um, get over myself. And it's taken a long time. It's been a very, very long journey.
0: Yeah, well, I can just relate to that myself of not um, I've never wanted to, I, I use this phrase, I don't want to throw my family under the bus in order for me to be on stage doing something. You know, I'm like, I don't want my yeah. family to get the, the leftovers or the the um, the you know the poor side of me just so I have enough energy to go out and, and do things in public. So your story just really resonates with me. Um, I would love to stay here, but I have a lot of other areas of your book that I kind of want to jump into. So I'm going to just shift gears a little bit with you. And it's a little bit on the same topic of just our how we're prioritizing and you had something you had mentioned. It was a one-liner that you took a one-year shopping spree. I would love to hear what led to this and what fruit came from it. Or not a one-year shopping spree, not a shopping spree. I wrote that <laughs> wrong. You're like, wait, I didn't take a one-year shopping spree. <laughs> oh, my gosh. One year free, free from the shopping spree. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, yeah, one year fast. I Listen, I don't think I I didn't go on shopping sprees before that. That's why I had to go on a fast.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I took a one-year shopping fast. I do. I talk about that in chapter one of the book. Um, it was it was an interesting situation because it's it's something that I had known for a while, right? Like, you know, we innately know the things that we use to sort of I don't know. I call them our uh, substitute saviors. We kind of know what those are in our lives. We kind of know what we use in moments to numb ourselves or to not think about something. And shopping for me was one of those things. I love like putting outfits together. I love decorating my home. At one time, I wanted to be an interior decorator. So I love that part of the artistic part of me that likes design. Um, It it bleeds over into clothes and all those things. And so, and the other thing is I, I don't put us in debt. So for me, it was a, it was kind of a hard decision to come to because there was all kinds of justifications. I'm like, well, this is my creative expression or like, I don't put us into debt. I, I shop at, you know, TJ Maxx and, you know, Nordstrom or whatever it may be. But the reality is, it didn't matter. I knew that it was coming between the Lord and myself. And really what it came down to was, and I talk about it in the book, I won't give the whole story away, but I was embarrassed into it. I was embarrassed into it going into a shopping fast. And it wasn't so it wasn't like I was so spiritual. It was like the Lord told me to do it. And I just did it because I'm so, you know, I'm so submissive. No, it, it was more like I was embarrassed into it. The Lord had begun to work in my heart. And so for a year, I did not buy anything for my home or any clothes for myself, um, which were my two areas of sort of overindulgence. And um, there were some very strict parameters I had. And, And I'm still in what I call recovery from it because I and that's been I think my shopping fast was, I don't know, maybe seven years ago, six years ago. And I believe that that's the way that we stay in a really good place is we stay in a place of recovery and say, from whatever it is, and say, this is something I may always struggle with. And so I need to be very mindful of it. Um, and yeah, it was a very powerful time in my life that Jesus did a great work in me. And really, Rachel, the, one of the reasons why I went decided to do it was because I knew that the Lord and I, there was there was an impasse between us. I could feel it. I could sense it. Like a lot of people listening know, like something's just not quite tracking between the Lord and I. And here's what I thought. I thought, I don't want it to be dumb clothes that is coming between us. And and if there's any chance that that's what it is, then I want to get rid of it. Like that's not a good enough reason. <laughs> there's no good enough reason, but I'm like, stupid clothes, really? And the only way I'll know for sure if it is my swipe debit card is to eliminate it and see if that's what it is. And so that that's what I did.
0: Wow, I love that phrase you used a substitute savior. isn't that the truth? So if someone was listening today, how would what's a practical way that they could just kind of evaluate if they have any substitute saviors?
1: Well, here's the deal. It is literally in chapter four of the book, which is called Holiness Over Freedom, there is a litmus test that you can, there are five ways that you can know what needs to go. And honestly, I would sit here and say them to you, but I'm not trying to get people to buy the book, but I don't remember them off the top of my head. If I'm, this is getting real with Rachel, right? So I can tell you that. Um, but there are five there are five ways you know what needs to go and then there are there are two questions to even ask Jesus uh, and one of them I think is you know is this what is coming between us basically um, what am I resisting letting go of and, and so there are some really good practical questions that you can ask yourself and there's there are five ways to know and I have I've, I've written about those in the book but here's what I would say even just today you innately know, we innately know what needs to go. We really do. Someone that's listening to me right now, shopping may not be their thing, but they know it. Like we know it. And so it's really important to be honest about it. And I think when we get to the point where we're like, my life has gotten complicated, I'm not satisfied with this sort of surface relationship with the Lord or being at an impasse, we'll be willing to do whatever it takes. And I want to say a couple of things. First of all, I didn't go into it saying, I'm going to do this for a year. I actually went into it saying, I'm going to do this for a month because our church was doing a church wide fast. And after a month, the Lord said, you're not done. And so I think it's okay, number one, to get into something by maybe a less than spiritual reason. Because I was embarrassed into my fast, but the Lord still used it in a powerful way. And I also think it's okay to let God change direct your direction midstream. So, you know, let, don't be as worried about what this is going to look like. Just surrender it even today. And I do believe um, that as we, as you walk forward with whatever it is, um, you will know very quickly if if that was the right move to make you're going to know pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. I love how you said we just know, because even as you were talking, I had three areas pop up in my head, yeah, oh, yeah. My, uh, clothes, social media, and sugar. Um, yeah. and, and actually I'm currently on a sugar fast and it's actually going to be ending um, in a few days. And you're like convicting me that maybe I need to ask God if, if it should go a little further, but you know, like I love how you mentioned too with um, things that you know are, problems for you or addictions or strongholds. Um, Sugar is definitely one of those for me. I have a whole past of eating disorder stuff and food issues. And, and so I now know with sugar, if I have sugar, I have to do it in a controlled environment. Like sometimes people think, oh, you know, you're just watching weight. I'm like, nope, I'm watching my heart. Like, you know, I I know how it just takes control. And I start having this out of body experience of, you know, wanting to eat all the, all the sweets um, instead of hanging out with Jesus. And. And, and, you know, he just that definitely that substitute savior that really, really resonated with me. So thank you for that practical element of that. Um, OK, so another part of your book, you talk about deadly overs. Can you tell us a little about those? Those were really powerful.
1: Yeah, I talk about this in chapter one, the, the land of the deadly overs is what I call that. It's it, basically what I came to realize was that there were some behaviors in my life, like go to behaviors, not even things that I meant to do, went into it thinking, here's what I'm going to do, or even realize sometimes I was doing them. But they were go to behaviors that I would do to try to make my life better, but would actually complicate my life. And so um, I think that's what we do. I think what we do is we think, okay, my life is complicated, or my relationships aren't Going well, or this moment doesn't feel good. So let me try to make it better, rather than let Jesus be over it. Let Jesus handle it. We say, okay, let me let me try to overcompensate. Let me try to do this myself. And so we go into what I call the the deadly overs, and they are over apologizing, over analyzing, over explaining, over indulging, and overworking. And you know, even as I say those, I think people could probably go, oh you know, and they might even know what theirs are. If they don't, I have a, you know, a free quiz they can take to know which one they are. But you know, to be honest with you, I relate to all of those in one way or another. And certainly I think we can um, come in and out of each one. Sometimes we're at a different place in our life. One of them is more prevalent than the other. For me, overanalyzing is a big one where you, you know, toss things over in your brain over and over again. You try to figure it out. Let me do this angle. Let me do that. Or you overanalyze a conversation that, that, you know, someone has, you've had with someone and you pick it apart and you say, oh, you know, what they mean by that, or you know, maybe they you know meant that, or whatever this or that, or we find ourselves over apologizing, and you know, we want to make that right, make, make that moment less awkward. And so we just gush and we over-apologize and, and then we make the moment more awkward. You know, it's, it's this weird cycle that we get into, whatever our thing is, whether it's that or over-explaining, we feel like we need to, you know, say it again. We didn't say it well, or let me, Oh, I know what I meant was this. And, you know, because we need, we feel like we need to manage it. It's like this PR campaign that we, we want people to understand us a little bit better or overindulging certainly would be shopping, Netflix. Phone, food, alcohol, whatever the case may be, and then overworking explains itself. But whatever it is, it becomes these sort of go-to behaviors. And Rachel, it's it complicates our lives. It just complicates them, and. I kind of liken it in the book to living in this land on one side that is the land of the deadly overs and then the Jesus over everything land, which is on the other side, which is putting Jesus over the relationships, over our insecurities, over all of those things that cause us to go into those weird behaviors that actually in the process complicate things. And so that's really what that's all about
0: yeah and you know i think that we can all agree that i want to live in the land of jesus over everything so then why do i choose the land of the deadly overs so often like why why do you think that we do that
1: yeah i think it's easy to do it i think it's it's go to it's what we've become accustomed to i think sometimes we haven't had language for it that's what i hope one of the things i hope i provide in the book i think we haven't stopped long enough to say i am really Over apologizing here. And I think sometimes really just understanding what it is we're doing is helpful because it does cause our brains to click and go, Oh, this is a moment where I don't need to over explain this. I I just need to let this be a, I can't come tonight. I'm so sorry. Thank you for inviting me. And let that be enough and trust that God will handle the rest and he'll handle that situation. And if they don't understand you, it's okay. I, I think. Honestly, I do believe and and hope and pray because it's why I wrote this part that even just that um, understanding and acknowledgement that this is something we do will be powerful. But I also do, you know, provide I am providing a, a free resource to help help us with that, because I do think it's a problem for all of us. And a lot of times just stopping that process and trusting that God will help, even if someone fills in some blanks of a story that we don't explain, it's okay. Like we will be okay. It's okay to walk through life and not be fully understood all the time.
0: I love that you mentioned you want to just give language to this. I think that is so powerful. It's, you know, just the awareness of, like you said, once people have words for what's happening and they realize it's a thing, then that right there is, is power in itself. Um, and you mentioned you have a quiz for this. So we'll make sure to include that in the show notes um, so that you guys can go check out that because that would be, I, I love quizzes. I'm a quiz junkie. So <laughs> Well,
1: it's a quiz. And then also after they figure out you know, what deadly over, you know, is overtaking them. Then there's a a guide that's called the get over it guide. You know, I'm a, I'm a blunt, I'm a blunt talker here, but it's called the get over it guide. And, and I take us through each, whatever the deadly over is, that is our area that we need to work on. I take us through that with, I've got some scripture, I've got some um, practical things to swap out the behavior for something else. It's, it's very important if you know, a lot of us don't know, okay, well, we've been over apologizing for a long time. So what do we do? It's very important to, you know, get get a different behavior for that behavior. And I think just some helpful suggestions, I hope will help the the reader.
0: Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. So definitely check that out in the show notes links. Um, Another thing you actually talked about in your book that, of course, I got all kinds of excited about was you talk about real over pretty. Um, And I love this quote. You said real is the best pretty because it doesn't ask you to lie. So I'm curious, what does that what does that mean to you?
1: Well, you know, that chapter means a lot to me because I I, I opened it up, as you know, with um, a, a story about a, a man named Luke Lang, who really, uh, really s- spoke to my heart. I, I found him on Facebook, actually. Good old Facebook is good for something, right? And I found a lot of his entries. He had cancer and I found a lot of in- his entries and they were so poignant and real, and he just shared his life, and he shared the struggles, and he shared the funny moments, and it it was so real, Rachel, that I... I appreciated it because I thought, you know, I can't take one more day of like smiling selfies. And listen, I I post selfies, so I'm not shaming any of us. You know, I think it's okay to do that. But it's like there are some days that you're like, I just need someone to get on here and just say life is not good today or this is hard or whatever. And Luke did that for me. And I, I thought, You know, this is a gift that we give to each other and we give to ourselves when we're allowed to be real over pretty. And I don't mean pretty in the sense of physically pretty. I mean pretty in the sense of prettying up our lives and like presenting a a false sense of ourselves and the pressure to do that. My goodness. I mean, we have such pressure on us to present this face, this life, this everything is awesome. And all of our lives are hard. All of them are hard in one way or another. And permission that Luke gave me to just exhale. It was really poignant. And so it's one of my favorite, favorite chapters because of the things that I learned. I mean, I I just was reminded that Jesus wasn't pretty. He wasn't even physically pretty. And there were just things about it that I thought, like, man, I just want to be real. And that will draw people to us. Um, And so, yeah, I love that chapter in the book because of that, because of Luke.
0: Yeah, uh, I actually, it's interesting you bring that up because I recently um, posted to Instagram just this quote that said, the grass isn't greener, they're just using a filter. And everybody, it, it lit up and resonated with a lot of people because in the comment part, you know, I just said, hey guys, the truth is I'm probably posting this with no bra on, my joggers and a t-shirt, you know, and it was the truth. And so yeah. here, here, I'm like, just keeping it real here. I'm um, sorry for that visual image. But, um, you know, here's the thing that I think some of us struggle with though is on on social media and in real life and in person is we want to be real, but how do we do it in a way that is, how do I say this? Not tacky or not like me braless, right? Like nobody wants to see that, you know what I mean? So it's like, I I don't know if you have any um, thoughts on even in real life. I'm I'm really curious about in real life, um, how you think that that is, you know, that we can just be real and vulnerable with each other.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question. Because here's the thing. I I think we attempt this, right. And I think there is also curate, curated, curated um now, mm-hmm. even on social media, which is, I'll be honest with you, I'm just going to be straight here. I think that's annoying. Because the thing about it is, is, and look, it, it's fine. If you want to post pictures of a messy kitchen, I'm I'm on board with that. If that really comes from a place that's, tough for you to post pictures, like you're a recovering perfectionist and like it took a little to post that picture. Like I I salute that. I honor that. But I want us to push past a little of that and get out of the mindset that it's about posting a picture of us and no makeup and that's what makes us real. No, what what makes us real is sharing our life. And that doesn't mean sharing every detail or sharing all of our junk, because here's the reality of it. We need to honor our privacy in our lives, too. Like, I I think that there's a lost art of, you know, knowing when to also hold back the things that you and Jesus just need to talk about or you and, you know, your family just need to have in the privacy of your own home. Like, we go too far with that, too, and embarrass the fire out of our kids, which I don't really think is cool either. So I just really think there is something that is felt, Rachel. And I don't even know if I can give a step one, two, three. I just know that we all know when we're really being our real true selves. We also know when we're curating real. We know when we're like, I'm going to do a post or, you know, I'm going to talk about something that I know is going to be really cool and popular. And I'm going to, I'm going to go into a real moment here that's actually probably not being real it's really it's when you have that you know you have that moment and you're like i want to share this for the good of other people and and that's where i would say that that let me just plant there because that may be just one piece of actual advice that might help someone i would say that for at least for me my whole goal is how's this going to help the body of christ how's this going to help the kingdom of god and um So there are things that I actually would love to share, but I think, eh, I don't know if that really will help anybody. And so I would say encouraging people to be real and Ask yourself, will this help more than just me getting it off my chest? And there's nothing wrong with you getting it off your chest. Maybe that's something that the Lord um, wants you to do for for you, for your growth, your personal growth. But I just feel like social media really can and probably needs to serve a little bit of a higher purpose than just being all about us. And that's, to me, what Real Over Pretty uh, is about at the core.
0: Yeah, I love, I, I think you hit the nail on the head in that real is actually different to different people. You know, I mean, I, I think you kind of have to define it for yourself. And I know for me, real these days is when I see a, a in real life person friend and she says, hey, how are you doing? And instead of me going, oh, good, how are you? I go, wait a second. That's a lie. I'm not good right now. <laughs> You're like, mm, I'm kind yeah. of struggling. You know, like that that, that's me currently right now where I'm at. Cause I, I don't always want to share how I'm really doing with people because I don't want to burden them. You know, I'm like, I don't want, you've got your own problems. I don't want to tell you. And so I just love that you, you wrap that up with a pretty bow of just, it's different for everybody. And, um, and like you said, also bringing it back to how this can help. <laughs> is it just, yeah. is it just shining a spotlight on me and everybody's going to think I'm super cool now, or is it really going to build up the body? So I love, love, love that. Um, you know, you also talked about in your book, honesty over hiding and a quote that you said is one of the best things that honesty brings is a breakup with the person you've become but never truly wanted to be so people are listening going, man I, I want to figure out like we're just talking about the real me and i want to be honest over hiding i mean uh, what, what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah, you're talking about. I, I tell you, this is this chapter gets me. I I, volu- I literally feel emotional even you bringing that up because there's a section in that chapter that you're referring to. It, it's it's the section that's called "That's Not Really Who You Are," and um, I have to tell you, Rachel, I, I have such a tenderness for us, for all of us who kind of get into. Places in our life and people we become that we don't really intend to be. Um, I think that that is all of us at some point. I think that it can happen to any of us. Um, I think that's why I have a heart for, you know, people who become addicts or, you know, people that even get into an affair or whatever the case may be, because I, I think at the core, you know, we can all be really snobby about other people's sins, but. You know, a lot of us are walking around not really the person, not really who we are. And when I say that, it's not that we that recuses us from our sin. It's saying if you are living below the potential of who God has created you to be, it's not really who you are. Like that's not really who God created you to be. And so, honesty over hiding is really about the courage that it takes to say, I'm going to live being honest because hiding is easier. It is, but it complicates your life. And so in the Jesus over everything lifestyle, you choose to be honest over hide. And in that process, your life becomes far less complicated because if you have ever chosen the way of hiding by way of, you know, hiding with a behavior, hiding by lying, hiding by keeping a secret, whatever the way you hide is, you know, well, that it is complicated because you have a secret that makes you sick. You have, you know, a, a secret that then comes out and wrecks a lot of things. People say, well, you know, the truth hurts. Actually, the truth doesn't hurt. The, the sin that created that, that, that hiding, that lie, the sin is what hurts. The truth in that moment stings because it's being exposed, but have to go through a bunch of junk because of that sin that got us into the mess. So, that's the encouragement there is. and i and I write, as you know, I, I write, I, I wrote a letter to myself in college It's a very that's a very, very um that was a hard chapter for me to write. I talk about a lot of things I've not talked about before in writing. And, uh, I wrote a letter to myself when I was in college and I'd come clean about some things to my mother, but then I, I wrote, um, a, a new version uh, now that I have more language as I'm older for us. And it's a letter to myself, but it's a letter to anybody else who comes out of hiding. And it's like, these are the things you need to expect. This is the grace you need to have for yourself. And these are the things that you can know you have to look forward to. And it's a really poignant part of the chapter. And I hope it'll help a lot of people to understand this is what happens when you come out of hiding. And even though it seems easier to stay in that place, you know as well as I do, it's not really who you are and it will be very complicated if you stay there.
0: What do you think compels people to finally come out of hiding?
1: Oh, I think the pain I think that the the pain of the secrets making you sick. I think sometimes it's the catalyst is you're found out, or you know it you the you know it's just now it's so complicated that like you don't even remember your lives, or you know you, um, you know whatever the case may be there. But I think for a lot of people, I think it's like I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. Sometimes it's the it's the promise of freedom that's on the other side. It's the 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 allure of living clean. It's like I don't want to live this way anymore. And and I hope that something um that that is said in that chapter will compel them enough to choose honesty because it is the way of Jesus. It is. It's the Jesus over everything life. And it is such the better way to live. I mean, when you don't have to look over your shoulder <laughs> and you don't have to wonder if people know your real life and if, if someone's gonna out you, you're like, I mean, that is, man, there's there's no better way to live, right?
0: Yeah, I agree. And as someone, I think we all can relate to this. When I think of times in my life where I came out of hiding and I and things were brought into the light, the initially was it hard? Absolutely. I won't lie <laughs> and say that it wasn't. There weren't some hurdles to jump over and there weren't some, you know, relationships to men. But in the end, the fruit that came was so worth it. So, so worth it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, this is so good. Okay, one more thing I want to ask you about before we hop off is... Um, you talk about burnout and uh, (laughs) being a mom and a wife and a business owner and someone who does all the things I can just um, just so relate. And I'm curious, when was the last time that that you felt burned out?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I mean, I think I've been I was I was trying to think about this the other day. Actually, I think a real like burnout to the point of quitting, I would say the last time I felt that desperate and desolate was 2012, which has been a while, admittedly, that's eight years ago. But I have felt since that time, I have, you know, really created some practices in my life to where I, I didn't, you know, get to that point again. Um, and mostly it was just a lot of needing to work out a lot of things with the Lord. But I would say, man, I've definitely had, you know, places where I thought if, if I don't take a sabbatical, if I don't take a rest from this, I'm going to so like over Christmas over December I took a month off from social media that kind of stuff saves my soul because otherwise I am I am burnt out it's been amazing Rachel what just some taking care of yourself along the way and I don't mean going to spa treatments I mean I've, I've had a spa gift certificate for a year that I haven't used and I, I still look at it and every day going, when am I going to get to the spa? Cause I really want to, but it's, I work a lot. I really work a lot, but I would say that like taking care of my soul, as far as saying, I literally can't write one more thing today. I literally cannot answer that particular DM today. And I want to, man, I want to, but if I answer one more, like I'm going to, I'm I'm really going to compromise myself and then I'm not going to be good to anybody. And I can't do social media for December. I just, I can't, I want to, I feel like it's, you know, maybe it'd be better for me. I could promote my show more, but like I have to, drive. yeah, I mean, I feel myself. I feel myself. I just think I know better how to take care of it now, you know, along the way. So it's kind of a weird question for me because I wouldn't say I've been burnt out to the point of wanting to quit since 2012, but because then I really like I was going to go away. Um, And when I say going to go away, I mean, just like never write, never speak again. And it was a real thing. So uh, since that time, I've been like, if I'm going to do this, I have to figure out ways that I don't get to the point of complete exhaustion or complete uh, disillusionment to where I want to quit ever again. And I I can say I've never since that time, I've never wanted to quit ever again. I've wanted to take longer breaks um, and I've been frustrated and all the things. Certainly, but I've never wanted to exactly quit like that.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, I love that you answered just personally for yourself because I could see myself in your story and I think everybody listening could as well. I don't care if you're in ministry or business or an employee or what you do. I think we all get to these places of of burnout, you know, at some point in our life. And um, so I appreciate you sharing that. I'm curious. I also can see this relating to what we talked about earlier with the deadly overs, Uh, even just how you mentioned, I can't respond to another message and my knee jerk would be, oh, I'm so sorry. Like when I do finally respond, Oh, I'm just, I had to take a break and I had to, you know, like go in and explain right. why, why it took two days for me to respond to the email. And I just, I'm like, no, I don't need to do that. You know, I don't need to explain why I needed to take care of myself, you know? So I just love that you said that. Um, one final question on burnout. Do you think there's any um, signs that we can look for just so we don't get there? Like, so we can um, kind of just keep tabs on how we're doing? You know you brought up a
1: good point though Rachel I want to say that is we would do a lot better and get a lot Healthier and not be so close to burnout if we would pay attention to these deadly overs because they are leading causes of burnout. So I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the things that kind of led me to that place was this dire need I felt to always over-explain myself, right? So I do think when we start to curb those behaviors, it helps us a lot. Can you imagine if you're an overexplainer explainer and you spend so much time trying to explain yourself to people, if you were to cut that, but how much better you would feel about your relationships and how much less they would drain you. You know, I mean, think about it, just think about it on a very core level or overworking or whatever the case may be. Um, I think so to your question, I think a sign would be certainly if you're, if your family and um, you know, if, if you have a, a family that you live with or whatever it sees you often or you're in touch with often, um, if they certainly begin to say, Hey, you're getting testy. I notice things about you. You got to pay attention to outside folks that are telling you stuff. Um, I think another sign would be if you have a gift that you normally find joy in, that are that you are starting to not find joy in. Um, that to me is a huge sign of burnout because that is telling you that the thing that God has gifted you to do, so if God's gifted you to do it, you should find joy in it, right? Because those things are going to go together. If you now are feeling burdened by it, overwhelmed by it, not feeling happy and joyful in it, that's a sign that it's either being used incorrectly, it's being over, you know, you're, you're, you know, overusing it in a way that, that is not healthy, I think that's a huge sign. So if you find if you no longer have joy in having people over to your house and your hospitality gift, right? Um, And you're feeling really like, I don't want people to come over and you normally love to open up your home. That's a sign you're probably in burnout. Hmm.
0: Lisa, this has been so good. And all these tips have been so practical. Um, I cannot encourage y'all enough. Those of you who are listening, get her book because I didn't even get to scrape the surface of all the questions I had for her. Uh, this has been such a good conversation. Um, before we go, Lisa, two things I'd like to ask you. First of all, where can they find you online if they want to connect with you more?
1: Well, Rachel, I've loved talking to you. This has been so awesome. Um at LisaWittle.com, it has everything soup to nuts. Speaking podcast, um, called Creatives, uh, Ministry Strong, everything is on there.
0: Perfect. And then uh, if you could just leave them with one final thing. Like if this was if if this was the only part of the episode they listened to, what's one word you would want um the ladies listening today to know?
1: Jesus is everything. He is he is enough. That's way more than one word. But I mean, if I left him with one word, it would be Jesus. It would be Jesus because the powers in the name, the power to change, the power to have an uncomplicated life. I mean, he's everything. He's the reason for this life. He's the reason I breathe. It literally, I mean, that is, that's the word. There's no other, there's no other important word.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I guess technically I meant phrase. so you did that perfectly, yeah. So, no, that's, I agree, I agree. Thank you for reminding us of that today and through your book, and um, I'm happy to, excited to release this to the listeners, so thank you again for coming. Mm, Thank you so much. It was refreshing to chat with the leader who points us back to Jesus, and make sure you pre-order Lisa's new book, Jesus Over Everything. And you can do that by heading to lisawiddle.com forward slash joe to grab those free downloads that go with your pre-purchase of the book. Just stay in the loop on the show and be entered to win some free goodies. Just text that phrase, Real Talk Giveaway, to the number 44222 on your cell phone. All right, friends, that's all for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real. Living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.